A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars The Lost Spectre, Part 1. An audio drama by Travis English and Ryan Baxter. Evil is on the rise. More than two decades have passed since the fall of the Galactic Empire. A new threat has emerged, known as the First Order. Their reach grows across the galaxy. Following nothing more than rumors, Inquisitor Zaid makes his way to the Endor system to uncover a dark secret. Pursuing the Sith Pawn, the Resistance tracks Zaid and engages him above the Forest Moon. The remains of a once powerful weapon float above the peaceful forest moon. Not since the rebellion battled the Empire has Endor seen any visitors, but whispers have made their way across the galaxy of ancient weapons and a dormant power begging to be awoken. A ship as black as the space that surrounds it exits hyperspace. Zaid, a purple-skinned horned Eloman, and self-proclaimed Sith Inquisitor pilots the stealth craft. Yes, my lord. I have just reached the system. The Force will guide me to his remains and the artifact will be ours. I have additional cargo that may please you as well. <laughs> he chuckles arrogantly. The diabolical grin on Zade's face wipes away as he takes notice to the three new ships emerging from hyperspace. Ah, resistance. There he is, Abo Squad. Lock S-Foils in attack position. Abo 1, Abo 5, don't forget, we need the cargo, so avoid targeting the fuel cells. Roger, Abo Leader. Roger, Abo Leader. Vox Kateris and his squad of T-70 X-Wings move into attack formation and fire at the Dark Vessel. Without hesitation, Zaid turns his ship nose over end to engage the Resistance fighters. He's coming in hot! Zaid maneuvers through the spray of laser fire and darts between two of the ships. <laughs> Son of a mudlack! That's one hell of a ship, Vox! Eyes sharp, Abo Squad! The X-Wings turn sharp to follow the nimble craft. I don't have a visual on the bogey, Abo Leader. Against the hollow starscape, Zaid's ship is nearly impossible to sight. No way he could have punched in hyperspace coordinates that fast. Where the hell did he... A green laser bolt ah! rips through Abo 5's right engines. The ship disappears into a ball of fire. Fools. Zaid laughs at the misfortune of the pilot and the destruction of his handiwork. We've lost Abo 5. Change to Haywa formation, Abo 1. The X-Wings split off from one another and curve inward toward the origin of the laser blast. They always try so hard and they fall even harder. He's got to choose one of us, Abo-1. Be prepared. Roger that. As the fighters close in on Zaid's position, he settles on his next target. The stealth vessel lunges forward into attack, matching a head-on course with Abo-1. It looks like I'm the bait box. Abo-1 redirects her ship as Zaid accelerates. She heads toward the forest moon, allowing Vox a better view of her pursuer's ship. Be careful, Abo-1. Nothing too fancy. Vox makes his way behind the stealth ship. Nervous for his fellow pilot and the contents of their enemy's cargo, 
He takes extra care in zeroing in on Zade's wings. Lead him in just a little further. You got it, boss. Abba One veers back and forth, up and down, varying her maneuvers. What arrogance. Let's see what this amateur can handle. Zade begins to fire a barrage of lasers at Abba One. Her movements quicken to avoid the spray of green headed toward her. I can't shake him much longer, Cap. Hold tight. Fox holds his breath as he fires off a beam of red energy straight for Zade. Time seems to slow as he watches the laser hone in on the ship. He breathes out. The dark vessel's wings spin around the fixed cockpit, narrowly avoiding the shot. Impossible! For Vox, time resumes, and he watches the laser bolt find its way into Abba One's engines. She screams as her fighter explodes. <laughs> Zade erupts with maniacal laughter but is cut short as he notices debris rushing backward toward him. No. Chunks of the hull rip through the wings on the Inquisitor's ship. No. With barely any time to react, Fox pulls back on his controls. Some of the shrapnel catches his stabilizers and sends him spinning into space. Carabast! Zade curses his ship as it continues its trajectory toward the forest moon. Since the days of war between the Empire and the Rebellion, life on Endor had resumed its peaceful ways. Free from technology and a looming Imperial shadow, the only thing to fear was a Yayax or a hungry Gorax from the mountains. High in the treetops, a lone Ewok prays to the Great Golden One as he surveys the valley. Kipto, the youngest of his brothers, was now the sole hunter of his family. He carried the weight of his lineage heavily. As a descendant of Wicked Warwick, one of the most brave Ewoks Endor had ever seen, Kipto was driven to become a legend himself. He spent most mornings looking across the trees for a sign or the faintest feeling of where to begin his hunt. Down below, his loyal Guapa, Guma, chomps on grain, awaiting the day's journey. A growing, deep rumble begins to fill the sky. The pony stirs, and Kipto spins his head around, looking for the origin of the thunderous sound. From the east, he spots a dark shape in the sky. It looks like a wounded condor dragon, but moved far too fast for even the strongest local beasts. The sound grew louder as the dark object that he could now see was on fire came nearer. Kipto didn't want to think what destruction a fiery monster could bring to his village. He raised his horn and blew it harder than ever in his life. The flaming dark mass catapults through the air right over Kipto's head. Covering his ears from the bellowing groan of the beast, Kipto loses his hold on the tree and drops through the branches. A thick branch halfway down the tree ends his descent, and Kipto is able to regain his hold. The frightened Ewok makes his way down the remainder of the tree, using the vines that almost reach the forest floor. Guma pulls hard on her tie to the tree as she whinnies for freedom. Kipto obliges and mounts the pony. He prays to the Golden One as he rides towards his village. Guma begins bucking as they near the village. Kipto dismounts and ties up the spooked Guapa and bolts for his home. Fallen trees slow him down, 
for it is no small task to climb over these wooden giants. Amidst the smoke and flames, Kipto finally sights his family's hovel, but not where it should be. Itch. The crashing of the flaming beast ruptured the base of the tree that held his home aloft, many feet above the ground. The hovel was now turned on its side, and the doorway almost entirely caved in. His eyes watering from the heavy black blooms, Kipto notices an outreached arm from the doorway. The gray-striped fur was undoubtedly his mother's. The frightened Ewok makes his way over and grabs his mother's arm. She squeezes back and pulls toward him as he leans back to help through the misshapen frame. Finally, a glint can be seen from her eyes. Fire creeps up the tree attached to the hovel. Kipto coughs as the smoke thickens in the air. The tree groans as Kipto makes his final attempt to free his mother. A section of the burning trunk breaks off as he pulls, and the tree reinstates, crushing the Ewok's struggling mother. Crashing flush to the ground, the hovel shatters, and a burst of flame sends Kipto tumbling back. His head impacts something hard. Not wood, not rock. Much harder than anything Kipto had known. Dazed, he stares at the remnants of his smoldering home. Sure Cub wails for his mother. What had Kipto done to anger the Golden One that he would bring such devastation? And what was this fiery beast he'd sent to do so? As the Ewok stands, he finally sees the dark creature that brought this fire and death. The Inquisitor's obsidian vessel was now halfway buried in the hard ground of the forest. The back hatch, now bent open from the several impacts it received on its descent, lets out a red glow from the emergency lights. Wary of the large beast, Kipto picks up a nearby rock and throws it straight for the hole. Relieved that it caused no stirring of the creature, the Ewok approaches. The metal groans and creaks as Kipto steps aboard the craft. His eyes dart around as warning lights flash and caution messages blare. Kipto cautiously inches his way closer to the cockpit. Between the flashes of red light, the Ewok walks in darkness. He lets out a shriek as he steps on broken glass spread across the floor. Kipto scurries quickly across the shards and bumps into the cockpit chair. Zade's body flops over the side, and a dagger falls from his robes, making a large clang on the floor. The metal clattering rouses Zade from his unconscious state, and he quickly rises from his piloting station. Recognizing the sharp edges of the primitive weapon, Kipto snatches the dagger up, and the once curious creature, now regretting his moment of bravery, backs away toward the faint beam of light from where he came in. Zade assesses his altered surroundings and quickly notices Kipto making his escape at the rear of his ship and moves toward him. Disgusting vermin. Leaving so soon, are we? The angered Eloman bursts through the bent bay doors. Upon exiting, he surveys the destruction his crash has incurred. <laughs> what a pathetic place this is. It deserves to be burned to the ground and forgotten. I think I'll skin this grunt and have myself an exotic meal. Reaching into his robes, he realizes the dagger is missing. Zade roars with frustration and stamps off in the Ewok's direction. 
clutching the dagger tightly, Kipto shakes nervously in his hiding spot. I can smell you, Grunt. Give me my dagger before you taint it with your unworthy paws. Quivering uncontrollably, Kipto shakes the branches covering him, giving away his position. Realizing his cowardice has compromised his safety, he starts to make for another hiding spot, when suddenly his feet are pulled out from under him. There, there, my furry little friend. You'll soon be dead like the rest of your cooked vermin family. Zade holds Kipto upside down by his feet, the dagger still held tightly in his hands. Now give me my dagger, Bill. A hot laser blast screams by, nearly singeing Kipto's hairy toes. As another shot sounds from the trees, Zade anticipates its path and dodges the blast. Startled by the blaster fire, Kipto wriggles violently in the Inquisitor's grasp. Give me my dagger, grunt. In the struggle of removing the dagger from Kipto's clutches, Zade loses his concentration on the mystery gunman and is struck in the shoulder by a third blast. The enraged Eloman tosses Kipto as the blast rips through his flesh. Dazed from the impact, the Ewok looks around for the dagger to protect himself. A fourth blast shoots through Zade's side, now stumbling after the frightened Ewok. Gloria. Not another step, Zade. From the trees, a woman emerges with a blaster pointed straight at the Inquisitor. Dressed in all the trappings of a well-traveled smuggler, Jen Loria approaches Zade, ready to end him at any moment. <clears throat> you would have made for good sport for my master. It seems I made a mistake keeping you alive. Yeah, well, try not to dwell on the past. You should be more concerned with the blaster pointed at your head. Spotting the dagger, Kipto crawls for the weapon. Jin notices the furry alien making his way toward the decorative blade, gun still pointed at Zade. Don't touch that. Sensing the shot was meant for him, Kipto stops just short of his goal. He looks to Jin quizzically. Run along, little one. She waves her free hand at Kipto to shoo him away. Understanding this gesture to mean continue with what he was doing, Kipto reaches for the dagger. Noticing that Jen is now fixated on the Ewok, Zade force pushes her backward, allowing him the opportunity to finally acquire the dagger. Out of my way! Zade's look of confusion follows him as he collapses on top of Kipto. She dusts off her legs and walks over to her deceased nemesis. Why does everyone ignore my blaster? It's so big. The Inquisitor's body stirs, and Jin steps back. His body rolls over, and from underneath emerges the stunned little Ewok. Zade's body slides off the blade of the dagger, the handle still tightly held in Kipto's hands. All right there, little guy. Now hand me that shiny thing, understand? Give me the dagger. She holds her hands out as she inches her way toward him. Kipto looks down at the blade of the dagger as it begins to mysteriously absorb the black blood covering it. A strong wind blows embers and dust about, obscuring Jin's sight of Kipto. Strange whispers dance in the breeze as a green glow radiates out from the blade and swirls around the stupefied Ewok. I've got a bad feeling about this. 
Chin shields her eyes as the wind turns to a miniature cyclone in front of her. The whispers grow to a shout as a shockwave pushes out from the emerald radiance. She barely stays on her feet as the air rushes against her. A sprinkling of ash descends upon her and she realizes the gust put out the fires. Jen notices that where once was Zade and Kipto had now been reduced to a pile of bones. I did warn them. Well, mustn't keep the client waiting. She kneels down in the ash and rummages through the bones with her gloved hands. She tosses aside bones and branches, searching for the blade, hopefully left over from the cataclysm. Why does she want it? Jen surveys the area for the origin of the voice, but there is nothing but the smoldering remains of the Ewok village. Finally, after a thorough digging, she unearths the blade, still warm from the event. There you are, not letting you out of my sight again. The dagger. Hello? She eases herself off her knees and begins to quietly reload her blaster. Now for the fun part. With the prize now back in her possession and her captor dead, finding a way off the planet became Jen's new goal. She returns to the wreckage of Zade's ship. Well, this is a lost cause. There's got to be something I can use. Bad guys always have cool toys. Jen rummages through the compartments of the vessel for anything of value. She doesn't expect much to have survived the crash, but surely a data pad with a hollow map might have made it. What light was making its way into the cockpit ceases momentarily as the metal of the ship groans. Jen peers around the corner to better view the entry, blaster in hand. Maybe I'm still just a little trigger happy. Finally, Jen discovers a cracked data pad in an overturned container and powers it up. Mwah! You're my ticket off this rock. Now where the hell can I find something to fly? A hollow map projects itself into the darkness of the cockpit. Jen searches through the memory of the data pad. Surely the Empire left something behind. The map begins to cycle through all the former bases on the forest moon. Most of them turn up negative, or are too far for Jen to walk. Come on, give me something, anything. Yes! What have we here? Lambda-class Imperial Shuttle. It's kinda slow, but I'll take what I can get. Jin plots a route into the data pad and packs the functioning supplies she can find into a pack. She has much of the day to travel, and doesn't want to spend one minute more than necessary on the planet. There was nothing but trees. If it weren't for the hollow map, Jin was sure she would get lost in this forest. She was a fair tracker, but she'd never been in a place this overwhelming. As the sun began to descend, she grew frustrated with how the flora had slowed her pace. Oh look, another tree! And another one. And another one. This place would make for a tricky speeder bike run. The hollow map indicated that she was now within 300 feet of the ship. Finally breaking through the dense forest, the dim light of sunset revealed an old imperial base overgrown with large bushes and bright green moss. There it was, the Lambda-class shuttle. Except for some minor scorch marks and a heavy layer of dirt, it seemed to be in working order. Can't say I've ever been happy to see an imperial ship until now. She walks up the boarding ramp into the dark cockpit. Her light reveals dust and cobwebs covering every surface of the controls. Wiping some away, she identifies the startup sequencing panel. 
the cockpit illuminates as she begins to punch buttons. Moment of truth. Jen activates the ignition button. Instead of the sound of humming engines like she had hoped, an incessant beeping indicated a burned-out fuel cell. I suppose it's never that easy, is it? She taps away at the screen of her datapad, programming the settings to search for nearby ion signatures. There's gotta be a usable fuel cell around here somewhere. Just great. I guess it's back into the trees. Jen was not looking forward to trekking through the forest in the dark, but the sooner she could leave, the better. The hollow map had led her north towards the nearest ion signature. The eerie chirping and howling of creatures had seemed to dissipate the closer she got to her destination. Not much wildlife in the area. That's odd. She looks down at the hollow map as it begins to beep, indicating the growing ion signature. Almost there. What the? Jin rubs her head where she had hit it. She directs her light forward and is both delighted and astonished at her discovery. I don't believe it. The stories always say this thing blew up into a million pieces, but I guess some were bound to be bigger than others. Before her was the largest piece of shrapnel she had ever seen. Jin walks alongside the massive hunk of metal, running her hand flush with it to find the end. Looking down to her feet, she sees the white shards of a skull she had caved in with her foot. Stay away from here. Great, a creepy wind voice. I must be losing it. There is no response to Jen's call. Looking ahead a bit further, she spots an opening in the dark gray metal. Stepping closer to a makeshift doorway, the data pad indicates a stronger ion signature. She enters. Jen carefully maneuvers her way through the twisted maze of metal, following the echoing chirp of the data pad. As its frequency increases, she finds herself in a clearing, yet still partially enclosed by the fallen space station. Jen spots what looks like an old console and approaches, the chirping now steady. Jackpot. She kneels down next to the console and tugs off part of the housing. The panel clatters on the ground with an unusual rattle. Jen directs her light at it, revealing a thin layer of bones spread across the ground. Ooh, spooky. Inside the console was the ion cell, a metallic cylinder with a dim red light. As Jin begins to detach it from the surrounding wires, a large beast claws at her, knocking her blaster and pack from her back. The beast's claw leaves long slashes that now bleed as she crawls toward her blaster. A second strike rolls her over, jagged bone shards prodding the wounds on her back. The beast leaps on top of her, knocking the air from her lungs as it pins her down. Large, razor-like teeth snap inches from her face, and thick saliva drips onto her as she feels for her blaster. With it just out of reach, she struggles to hold the beast back. The creature, now done playing, rears back its head to dig into its meal. Suddenly, the animal is thrown across the room into a wall, its neck breaking on impact. Jin wavers as she stands up with her blaster, hobbling toward the dead beast. Well, that explains what ate everything around here. I told you to stay away. 
It's not safe. Out of the corner of her eye, she spots something and whips around with her blaster in hand. Obscured by darkness, Jen has trouble making out the figure approaching her. You're in trouble. I wanted to help, but then it just died. She reaches for her light and illuminates the being now standing in front of her. Little one? I thought you were dead. How did you... That thing is ten times your size, and it didn't just die. It flew across the room. Wait, how am I understanding you? I just don't... Jen grimaces in pain as she gathers the spilled contents of her pack. As she wraps the old dagger back up, chills run down her spine, and she can feel the ancient weapon pull toward the Ewok. What's your name, little one? I am Kipto, but I feel different. Different since the bad man came from the sky and killed my family. Zaid? Yes, a bad man indeed. Him and his people. There are more? They must pay for what they've done. Well, they, uh... Jen could see the little creature was confused and alone, but he seemed to have some sort of link to the dagger. This job was becoming more than she bargained for, but he could prove useful. How would you like to come with me, Kipto? You saved my life, so I kind of owe you. Kipto perks up from his sullen state and looks at Jen with his big, dark eyes. With you? Yes, with me, Jen. Then Kipto can stop the bad man. She might be using him, but she did not yet know his value in all this. Yes, Kipto. Then you can stop the bad men. The new allies make their way back through the ruins. With so much resting on the delivery of the artifact, Jen couldn't understand why she agreed to bringing along Kipto. Sympathy was not her strong suit, but revenge she did identify with. It won't be easy, Kipto. Zaid, the people he works for, worked for. They're very powerful. Even the biggest trees in the forest must fall. I have cut down many, and they will be no different. All right, but don't say I didn't warn you. I can take you where you need to go, but I have a buyer to see first. Now, where is that ship? The pings on Jen's datapad increase, ringing into the night. I just hope this power cell does the trick. Come on, Kipto. We're almost there. Replacing the power cell of the shuttle was no easy task in the dark. Jen could hardly focus with Kipto's pacing, but she knew he meant well trying to stand guard. You know, it would be a lot safer inside the ship. I am done cowering, and you do not know the forest like Kipto. True, but I'm sure what's out there has never dealt with a modified BL-28 blaster rifle. Too loud, Jen. You must attack quietly here if you want to live. I'll take my chances. Jen continues to tinker underneath the shuttle, her arms elbow deep in a narrow panel. After years of hot wiring and tampering with ship engines, she welcomed the challenge of repairing by feel alone. Get ready to be impressed, little guy. With the power cell in place, she sparks a few wires together, and the ship hums to life. Sometimes I amaze even myself. Jen punches the ship in anger, regretting it almost instantly. Suddenly, floodlights illuminate Jen in the underbelly of the vessel. She whips around with blaster drawn in the direction of the lights. You sure always impressed me, sweetheart. 
Jin moves to put Kipto behind her and the approaching voice. He struggles, wanting to prove himself gallant, his spear held high. It's gonna take more than a few sparks to get that thing going. Just great. That's all it ever took to get you going, Asher. What the heck are you doing here? Asher Voss, a smuggler with jet black hair and a conky grin a parsec wide, makes his way into the view of the floodlights. Come on, Jen, you're not the only one with contacts in the Zuma sector. He strolls right up to Jen, her blaster rifle now pressed into his chest. You're not the least bit excited to see me. Considering the last time I saw you was when you abandoned me on Nalhutta with nothing but a faulty thermal detonator? Yeah, I'm excited. Excited to shoot a hole right through you. Asha raises his hands in the air in a gesture of surrender. Hey, as far as I knew, that detonator was in perfect working condition. I was hoping we could talk business, so maybe you could lower your blaster and we won't have to gun you down. Jin looks to the floodlights, noticing that there are turrets adjacent to them, fixated on her position. She lowers her rifle and Asher moves in to embrace her, but not before Kipto prods him in the chest with his spear. What the... Well, what do we have here? Kipto steps in front of Jin and directs Asher back with the sharp end of his weapon. A new pet. Cute. Asher slaps the spear out of his way, but its point quickly returns to his sternum. Could you call off your womp rat? He insults Kipto. I will get him. Arms still raised, Asher stands looking quizzically at Jen. You understand this thing? Jen kneels down next to Kipto and eases his spear away. Don't worry, little guy. He's harmless. Besides, he might be our only way off this rock. She stands back up to face Asher and prods him with her finger, much like Kipto. So you want to talk business, huh? As soon as I see the dagger. Not with guns pointed in my face. Asher backs away to the entrance of his ship and calls up. Enough intimidation. You can drop the turrets and come meet our guests. The turrets recoil, and a fangled whirring comes from the cabin as Asher's astromech makes its way down the boarding ramp. IR-15, or Iris as the smuggler referred to her, was a scuffed up piece of work. A jagged split ran across her dome, and carbon scarring had left her dingy and gray. She rolls up to Asher, bumping into his leg. Well, I'm not too worried about her aim anymore. Hey, she's got it where it counts. Now, let's see it. Jen reaches into her pack and pulls out the wrapped bundle of cloth. Kipto's eyes fixate on the blade as it glimmers in the moonlight. She unravels it, revealing the dagger she reclaimed from Zade. Asher reaches out to grab it from her hand, but is immediately stopped by the other, taking hold of his wrist. Not a chance. Jin shoves his hand away and holds the dagger out for Iris to scan. A distorted blue beam emits from below the droid's eye, fanning up and down the dagger. Iris says it's the real deal. After all I've been through, it better be. She conceals the dagger and returns it to her pack. Kipto shakes his head, freeing himself from the hypnotic gaze. So here's the deal. You get us to Thyfera and I can guarantee you 30% plus refueling. I can find my way to the core from there. 30%? 30% of what? Of 150,000. 10% more than you deserve. But that's for discretionary insurance. Asher places his hand on her shoulder and shakes his head in amusement as he chuckles. Jin. Jin. 
Is that really the best offer you could find? Insulted, Jen brushes his hand from her shoulder and crosses her arms. Look, what say you to 50-50? 300,000 for you, 300,000 for me. <laughs> Not likely. Not every high roller lives in the core, Jen. Sometimes you gotta look elsewhere. Look, we'll go to Thyphera, refuel, get your fuzzball friend here a bath, and, and I'll take you to my buyer. 50-50. Kipto growls and tugs at Jen's pants urgently. We should not trust him, Jen. I don't trust him, but I can't ignore a payday like that. Kipto does not care about payday. Only the honor of his family. Do you want to ride or not? This is our best shot at leaving, and I get it. Honor and justice. But come on, Kipto, this is a good deal. Even if we have to put up with this gravel maggot. I'll take that as a compliment. You worry about your revenge, and I'll... A bellowing growl echoes through the forest, a sound Kipto is all too familiar with. He raises his spear, eyes scanning the forest as he backs himself up toward Asher's ship. Orax, Jen is right. We must go now. Asher looks on in disbelief as Kipto ascends the boarding ramp. Jen follows after the Ewok, giving Asher a gentle slap on the face as she passes. Looks like we have a deal. He stands there stunned, his mouth wide. Another growl comes from the trees and snaps Asher out of his trance. He nudges Iris with his boot and gestures to the ship. Come on, girl. The ship ain't gonna start itself. The Vulture, a long medley of mismatched metal powered by three cylindrical engines, makes its way up and through the thick tree line. Asher pilots the vessel off the planet toward a cluster of space station rubble just outside the planet's atmosphere. You sure you can maneuver this bulky rattle trap through that debris? Or would you like me to take over? We both know you never made a good getaway driver, Jen. That's the way I flew in. Unnoticed, might I add. So that's the way we're flying out. Yes, Iris. I already checked the scopes. In the back of the cabin, Kipto struggles with the safety harness Jen told him to use in the jump seat. Through a small sideport window, he could see the edge of his planet. From here it looked peaceful, no sign of the destruction of his village, but he could feel the devastation in his heart. So who'd you con out of this ship, Asher? Bet you left the poor blind trader with nothing but a crate of rotten joking fruit. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Yeah, most likely not. Doesn't look like you made out with that great a deal anyway. Sure looked like a lot of patchwork on the front of her. Hey, looks aren't everything, Jen. Asher's remark sends her into a fit of laughter. She doubles over in her seat and slaps the back of the pilot's chair. He gives her no retort. What, nothing? Usually you're so quick to fire back. Well, I was a little busy looking at the Star Destroyer that just jumped out of hyperspace. Jen chokes in mid-laugh and immediately diverts her attention through the cockpit windshield. A massive gray triangular vessel pointed straight at them. The ship nearly fills the entirety of their view. Jen leaps out of her seat and leans over Asher's to get a better look. Oh no. Looks like someone forgot to check in after you shot him in the heart. Maybe they haven't spotted us yet. Asher, why don't we- Unidentified craft. State your business in the system and transmit your cargo manifest. Jen reaches for the comm transmission button, but is stopped by both of Asher's hands, one on her mouth, the other blocking her reach to the button. I've got this. She pulls away from his grip and slumps back in her seat. Fine, but you better not get us killed. 
This is Captain Samuel Lennox of the Majestic Gundark, transmitting now. Nothing majestic about this heap. Everything's gonna be fine. Not the first time I've been hailed by one of these cruisers before. Well, it might be your last. Ain't that the truth, Iris? Captain Lennox, your manifest sights two life forms, but our scanners indicate a third. We are sending an inspection crew to board and search your vessel. Ugh, I forgot about the little furball. Jen leans forward and swats the back of his head. I assume there's more hiding on this ship than you'd like them to know. That ancient knife would be the least of my worries. A small squad of TIE fighters descend from the destroyer and make for the vulture. Well, what's the plan now, Captain? Asher runs his hand through his hair, breathes in deeply, and snaps his fingers. What do you say, Iris? The Fergal fake out? A what now? No time to explain. Just get to the gunner station and buy me some time from those ties. He spins around in his chair and rockets his fingers to point in the direction of the gunner seat. I hope you know what you're doing. Jen marches off toward the station. She notices Kipto peering through the port window, turns him around in the seat, and fastens the safety harness around him. Stay right here and make sure he doesn't kill us. Got it? Y- yes She secures herself into the seat, tightens on a comm headset, and activates the turret swivel. The vulture maintains course until the ties are nearly upon them. Get ready with those turrets, Jen. We're about to find ourselves in a real clam bake. On my mark, Iris. Majestic Gundark, prepare to be boarded. Asher? Now, Iris! Iris rotates a control on the console, and a low hum rattles the cockpit as the screens indicate power being shifted to the engines. Coming right at you. He throws the throttle forward, and the vulture lunges powerfully past the ties. They quickly take notice to the getaway and come around to chase after the smuggler's ship. Majestic Gundark, if you do not... Never liked that station anyhow. Time to start shooting, sweet cheeks. You better pray these guys kill you or else I will. The ties let out shot after shot of green laser blasts. The vulture strays back and forth, up and down as the bolts rip by. Jin pivots in the gunner chair and locks onto her first target. A short spray of fiery lasers and a tie explodes. Her next target is wise to her firing and outmaneuvers the first few shots. One of his lasers makes its way to the vulture and rocks it violently. Come on, Jen, I've got shields at minimum. We can't afford too many hits. Yeah, yeah. She tracks the tie for a moment and then fires off a single blast right through the wing arm. The tie spins out and crashes into one of his comrades. Yes. God, I've missed you. The remaining fighter shifts and boosts forward, making an escape from Jen's firing. She swivels the turret in pursuit, only to notice that the Vulture is on a collision course with the Star Destroyer. Hold on to your seats and get ready to be impressed. Asher! Asher! To be continued on the next installment of The Lost Spectre.